My name's Rob, and we say that RUF is a ministry for App State, and we always want to say that to remind ourselves that we are kingdom-focused, not RUF-focused. We care about RUF, love RUF, but we're not here to make RUF big or shiny or impressive as if that were possible. Our goal here is to serve this campus and to serve you and equip you so that you can love this campus to life. Um, Because God's kingdom is one of mercy and love and change. And that change comes through the power of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about when we come to the book of Mark. Mark is a historian recording actual events And he is telling us the gospel, which is not a program for spiritual fitness. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's a good announcement of who Jesus is, what he has done, is doing, and will do in the future. And so that brings us to Mark 4, 35 through 41. Mark 4, 35 through 41, so you can read wherever you can find that. Then Mark tells us, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God. Have you ever, or even recently, made a decision where you instantly knew it was the wrong decision? Probably the answer is yes. But for me, the most recent one that comes to mind was this past weekend on Friday. And I'm at my house. I'm building a fire pit down in the woods behind my house. And in order to get down there, I mean, we live on Ferncliff Road. So there's actual cliff connected to our property. And so what I've been having to do is take the stone and all the materials for the fire pit and put them in a wheelbarrow and you know, piece by piece, little bit by little bit, roll it all the way down to the bottom where we have this flat field and then bring the wheelbarrow back up and repeat that over and over again. And I, my back was hurting and I was getting tired. And I was thinking, you know, carrying things is a young man's game. And I'm an old man. So uh, I was like, I, I'm going to put everything in my car at once. And my car is not four-wheel, four-wheel drive, but I'm going to put all the stones and everything in my car. And I'm going to ride that down into the woods and then I'll be done with it. And so I put everything in my car, and I will admit, I asked, <laughs> I asked my wife, Mary Lee, if this was a good idea. And she said, I think that's a terrible idea. And I said, I'm going to do it. So I put everything in the car. And right when I turn down into, down into that drive to the woods, if you recall, we live in Boone, very rainy. So immediately when I like, get down into this drive, I immediately start sliding and slipping. And to my right, I'm in the car, and to my right is a cliff. And I start sliding toward it. And in in that moment, all I can do is just kind of like break a little bit and just ride it as much as I can to where I can stop. And I'm in the middle of this this decline or incline, depending on how you're looking at it. And I'm just stuck there, and I'm a couple of feet away from the cliff, and I'm immediately filled with fear. 
Because I feel like when I, if I try to reverse or drive, when I release my foot from the brakes, I'm going off the cliff. And in that moment, I was, I mean, that was scary, but I was also just terrified about having to tell someone that I was stuck because I was helpless. There was nothing I could do. I was terrified of telling Mary Lee out of embarrassment. She was very gracious. I was even just terrified, filled with fear at the idea of having to call a tow company, which I ended up doing. And it was so, I was so stuck that they had to use one tow truck to pull another truck to pull my car up out of, out of this mudslide. Um, in that moment, I was so filled with both this fear because I lacked control, but also this fear of, a lack, of losing care and respect from other people. There is, are plenty of reasons to fear. Fear is just basic to life. I and mean, we fear because things are chaotic. Things end up, in many cases, being disappointing. Things are unpredictable. But fear, in many ways, it connects to two big strands, control and care. We want some level of control over our lives, so we fear losing control. We fear unpredictability and chaos and losing agency. Will I lose the things that I care about? Will I be okay? And we fear losing care because we want to be loved. We fear losing care and respect from others and anything that threatens that. Do the people around me, do they really care about me? And will they love me when things get difficult or when I'm messy? Control and care is the two big categories of fear. And fear is a, is a real dominant theme in Mark 4, 35 to 41. And what Mark wants to do is to invite that, uh, us to look into that fear and let it direct us to this truth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Immediately as I say that, I imagine either you hear that and you're like, that's kind of abstract churchy talk, or that sounds like a Christian rap album title or something like that. But I want to unpack why this is life-transforming and practical by looking at two questions. Does Jesus control and does Jesus care? Does Jesus control or have control and does Jesus care? So first, does Jesus control. And so verses 35 through 36 here, you can turn your eyes to this verses. Jesus tells his followers to go across to the other side of Galilee in Israel, which means crossing the sea, getting in a boat and crossing the sea. And the sea was at this time and is a really scary place. I'm terrified of the sea because of specific movies, but also just because there are, you know, prehistoric looking creatures at the bottom that are invisible if you're just looking at the surface. Don't like that. Don't mess with it. But in the ancient world, the sea was terrifying. It was a place of chaos and destruction and unpredictability because wooden ancient boats are far more vulnerable than yachts. Not that I know much about yachts. My yacht game is pretty weak at this point. But the sea was and is a really scary place. I mean, so it's no surprise that in the Bible... The sea is a symbol for the power of evil, the power of evil and destruction from which God must rescue his people. So we think about the book of Exodus, where God brings his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt by bringing them through the Red Sea, parting the waters, and then letting those waves, that water, crash down upon the slave masters, the enemies of God's people. 
So when in verse 37, a great windstorm arises on the sea, the language is is supposed to be terrifying. You can read there. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Jesus' followers, they're understandably shaking in their boots. They're horrified. Not least of which the reason being that Jesus is asleep. When you look at verse 38, see that Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion, getting real comfortable. Everything is terrifying. Everything is chaotic, and Jesus is taking an intentional nap. He's not, he's not too worried about it, obviously. But what Jesus does next is he demonstrates this core reality and truth that he is Lord. Because what does he do? In verse 39, he awakes from his sleep, and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, Peace, be still. My translation, he's talking to the wind and the sea, and he says, shut your mouth. He shushes the storm, and it listens, kind of like a shamed toddler who's gotten in trouble and just kind of hangs its head quiet. What kind of power and control is this that this man has? And what he's demonstrating is that he is Lord. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that Jesus is king over all and he has control over everything in existence. Lord was an ancient title for an emperor. So this is saying that Jesus is the true king and the world is his kingdom. Lord is also a translation for the most personal name for God given in the Old Testament, which means Jesus is showing that he is God, that he has control over the world that he has made, all the seas and skies, all of nature, every person, every culture, Jesus has control. Does Jesus control? With a word, he brings calm to the chaos. And so seeing all this, the disciples in in verse 41, they're filled with a different kind of fear, fear watching Jesus. It's not a dread, but it's an awe. Who is this man with this kind of control? And this, this fear, this awe, is powerful enough to displace and quiet every other fear. Jesus having control makes all the difference. When I was in college, I loved to get people together and, and throw in kind of like you know, parties for RUF people. Especially, I would put together chili cook-offs. Um, that was kind of my specialty. I loved getting people together for a chili-making competition. And where I would make between eight and ten different kinds of chili one year I called it Chili Nelson, Chili Fest. One year it was Chili Bob Thornton. Right now it would, it would be Bill, uh, Chili Eilish would be the new one probably. My, only, my, my biggest memories from throwing these kinds of chili parties was that I was just filled with stress and fear the whole day I was planning these get-togethers because my identity was in my ability to throw a good chili cook-off. You know, you got to dream big. So I remember just like the whole day was a a blur, trying to get everything ready, trying to control every detail when people showed up, trying to make sure, you know, you're having a good time. You're having a good time, right? Let's change this playlist. Let's like amp up the music a little bit. And I I just had this distinct memory of being so frantically trying to make like six chilies at once that I basically stumbled and spilled (laughs) chili grease all over my friend's pants. Like just he was like hanging with me in the kitchen. I spilled all this grease all over him. All because I had to control every detail. The, the clear difference for me, that I, I, I still I, I feel like I must be hospitable, but those kinds of experiences, they lead me now to, I love going to other people's 
cookouts or tailgates, things that other people control when it's their party. I love showing up to someone else's tailgate. And I don't, like, no one's going to come up and ask me, like, where they can go to the bathroom. And no one's going to ask me where they can find napkins. I love when I can go to a place where someone else is in control. Jesus being in control makes all the difference. It's his party. It's his world. And so I'm not in control. And so you're not in control. But this, what I'm not getting at here is that if you trust Jesus, you'll never fear again. Fear is a basic part of life. The question is, which fear is the biggest? Fear and awe for Jesus or fear of losing control? Who is your Lord? Control or Jesus? What is it that you fear losing control of? In what way do you fear losing control? Maybe it's fear of just missing a step and ruining this this path toward the career you want. Maybe it's fear of conflict in a relationship and how that's going to mess everything up. Maybe it's just fear of, of a mistake that will ruin this image and identity that you've been carefully crafting over years and with great effort. But why am I talking about this? It's because this kind of fear of losing control is so bad for us. When fear of losing control is my Lord, my King, my God, it makes every scary thing so much scarier. Every exam looks like Mount Doom. Every friend conflict feels like a cold war. Every interview feels like you're on trial to determine your eternal worth and destiny. Every sin feels like this insurmountable object, uh, uh, obstacle to knowing God and to knowing his love. But to fear Jesus appropriately, to be in awe of him, of, of his power and control, it's to reckon with his absolute control over everyone and everything and everything in your life. Because Jesus is Lord, he has total control over everything that is going on in this broken world. And so while we, while we grieve and we weep for injustice in the world, we can still look to Jesus and say he is in control. Because Jesus is Lord, this means that he has total control over every moment, every detail and circumstance of your life, everything. Which means that when, you, when we look at the future so often, we either obsess with worry over what might happen or we just end up being cynical and saying, yeah, it's just probably going to be a disappointment. It, because Jesus is Lord, we can look to the future expecting hard things, being realistic, but also living with hope. Because Jesus is Lord, I don't have to fear that one mistake will just make a wreck of my life. So often we can look at the college years as if like, you have one chance to make the right decisions or else it's over. If I pick the wrong person to pursue a relationship with, then maybe I pick the wrong person. I might miss my chance at the right person. Or if I you know, go down one career path and choose one major, then maybe I'm missing all the other or the one right choice that was out there. And maybe I just missed it. But because Jesus is Lord, there is no way ultimately that you can mess up your life. Yes, we're called to be wise, but because Jesus is Lord, we can live with real freedom. Knowing Jesus is Lord and embracing this reality, it doesn't take away fear. That's not what I'm saying. But it gives you a freedom from the dominance and power of fear. You don't have to live with it governing your life. 
So you can know that when I, when I am messy, Jesus is Lord. And you know that when other people are messy, I'm free to love them because Jesus is Lord. That's the first thing. Jesus is Lord and he has control over all things. But the second thing, the second question is, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? So as the sea is raging and the winds are about to turn the boat into splinters, what is it that Jesus' followers ask him? You can look at verse 38. They ask him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? If you follow Jesus, you are inevitably led to this question. Jesus, do you care? Because what they're asking him is, are you, are you not concerned that we're about to die? Do you not care about what is terrifying to me? Do you not love me? Uh, because by all appearances, what the followers of Jesus are seeing is that Jesus doesn't care because he's asleep on a squishy cushion, the stern of the boat. So it seems like he's not too bothered. And when we look at our lives and, and the things that are disappointing, when I pray the desires of my heart and it seems like I get silence, we wonder, Jesus, do you really care about me? How does Jesus answer this question? Jesus proves his care in two ways. The first is surprisingly what we've already said. He proves his care for them by demonstrating that he is the Lord. Because again, the Lord is this translation for the Old Testament personal name for God, Yahweh. And this word, it literally means I am, but also carries with it this meaning, I will be with you. I promise to be with you and I will be true to my word. I will be with you the exact same way I've always been with my people, every step of the way. And so when Jesus demonstrates that he is Lord, he is saying, I am the God of promise. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's who I am. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. We mean he is with you and he will be with you. But the the second thing that Jesus does to to prove his care is something we might just miss. It's that he's in the boat with them. He's still in the boat with them. When all the winds and the waves are crashing down upon them, Jesus has tied his destiny to theirs. If the boat goes under, he goes under with them. He proves his care by just being there with them in the storm, in the chaos, Because Jesus is present, clearly he cares. And so Jesus is stunned by their fear. He's stunned by it. We can look at verse 40 where he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What Jesus is not doing is shaming them for being afraid of a huge, like the perfect storm moment. What he is stunned by is that when they see him, when they recognize, oh, Jesus is in the boat with us, That doesn't calm their fears. That's what stuns Jesus. Because he's essentially asking them, do you not know me? Do you not know that I care for you? Presence is care. My niece, Sophie, last fall, she passed away after a long battle with a rare form of childhood cancer. And Sophie was and is the bravest person I ever met. And that makes, I believe, my sister the second bravest person I've ever met. My sister had no control 
over cancer because none of us have control over a disease like cancer. But my sister, she demonstrated her care by being with her daughter, my niece, every step of the way. Every chemo visit, every sleepless night, every moment at the doctor's office when there was bad news, my sister was there. That proved her care. She may not have had control, but she demonstrated her incredible care. God has control over all things, but he dem- Jesus demonstrates his lordship fully by being present with us. That's how he shows that he is Lord, is by being a presence with us. It is Jesus's presence that is proof positive that he loves you. And our response to all the fearful stuff of life is often understandably to say, you know, why doesn't Jesus say peace to the scary stuff of my life? Why doesn't Jesus calm the winds of my life? He has control, so why doesn't he exercise it? Why doesn't he remove this stuff that is chaotic or fearful? And there's so much that we can't answer about this question, but one thing to note before leaving is that Jesus did not spare himself from the ultimate and heaviest chaos and abandonment at the cross. But the second thing is, is to just recognize how Jesus defines his care, and he defines it by his pre- presence. Jesus proves his care for you by uniting your destiny to his, by being with you at every fearful moment. That's how he shows his care, is that he will never leave you, never forsake you. And the more we embrace the reality of Jesus' care for us, the more we can live not without fear, but without the domination and power of fear. And because Jesus is Lord, we can look at our social lives and be willing to take risks. I mean, so often we look at people that we don't know and say, like, I would like to go talk to this person, but I'm just terrified because what if they say no to going to coffee with me? Or even if they see us, what if they just do it out of obligation? But because Jesus is Lord, we are free to take risks because nothing can shake his perfect love for us. Because Jesus is Lord, we are free. What makes you say Jesus doesn't really care? Jesus doesn't really care about me. What would change in your life if you saw that part of your life, that place, as the place where Jesus is most present and most caring? That he is sympathetic toward you in your tears. He is sympathetic and with you in the pain, in the disappointment, in the uncertainty. What if we saw those as the places where Jesus is most near us? Because he promises to be. And the more we are awed by this kind of God, I mean, the smaller the storm appears. The more that we embrace this, the more we can look at things that used to seem just insurmountable, like exams and conflicts. And instead of huge tidal waves, they may look like ripples because Jesus is in control and he cares. And even in the tidal waves, like the fear of how do I move on in life after a traumatic loss? Even in these things, we can see Jesus inviting us to bring our fear to him fully. To hand over or yield the control of our life because he cares for us. He is your Lord. He will not fail you. And this is summed up perfectly 
in another book of the Bible called Romans. And there we read this. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is Lord. He controls and he cares. As I pray that we would yield control of ourselves to him and bring ourselves before him because he cares for us. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.